0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So, thanks for listening and enjoy this episode.
1: Hello, my name is Kirk Sander, and I'm the Vice President for Safety and Standards at the National Waste and Recycling Association. So again, welcome to this. This is new data, who who dis? What data collection can do for you? We have four great speakers. Uh, first is going to be Joe Joe Ramuno, yep. uh, and he's the National Account Manager for Great Forest. He, he's the Head of Business Development, and he is a Certified True Advisor, and we're looking forward to hearing from him. Then we will be going... To Chris Ronson, Chris is from marketing manager at Retrack and working on their waste diversion software with over 35,000 users across North America. And then Steve Stavaro, he's, the, he's with Rarig Pacific and his main focus is devise market innovation technologies to improve logistics and flow across their industry. And then finally, we'll be coming to Emily Coven. Interestingly enough, they're also sitting in order. Uh, is the founder of Recyclist, a cloud-based solution to make solid waste programming management easier. Um, And she has been doing web and mobile apps for such places that you may have heard of as MTV, PBS, UC Berkeley, and 23andMe. So with that, we will start the program.
0: All right, hello everyone. Um, My name is Joe Romuno. I'm the Director of National Accounts for Great Forest. Um, We're a waste and recycling consultant and waste broker. Uh, We're based in the New York City area. We've been in business for 30 years. Uh, We've been working with our clients mainly through brokerage for the early part of our company's start Um, and over the past five years we've seen a significant changeover to more of our clients and vendors needing data and needing useful data that they can start to alter their programs on. Um, We help implement recycling programs at commercial office buildings, uh, manufacturing facilities, mixed-use buildings, retail, uh, pretty wide range of businesses that we work with, um, and all of them have really ramped up the need for data in the past few years. We've shifted our services to making sure that we're providing them that data and that they're able to use that data to make changes within their program that are gonna really have a positive impact on their diversion rates and reduction goals. Um, Adjusting to uh, meet new data-driven needs, we've really stepped up our auditing services. Um, Across our clients, um, we've seen that throughout the country, almost 77% of material that we audit at buildings, um, that buildings are throwing away, is not trash at all. Um, And having that data is really important now, it's more crucial than ever with the volatile market that we're in, uh, and, and businesses need to know that there's other options for disposal for their materials than just going to a landfill or waste-to-energy facilities. Uh, Waste audits are a type of data collection that is growing in importance across the country and has become a large part of the business that we conduct. Uh, It's actually the biggest part of our business now, and five years ago, it was barely a part of our business. Um, So it's really shifted how we operate, um, and it's a large service for data collection. Our clients want to measure and understand how much of each material type they're generating, and they want to know how they can reduce the different material types that they're generating, and waste audits allow us to do this. Um, Without data, businesses are operating in the dark. They don't know what they need to do to improve. They don't know where they currently stand. Data is everything right now in the waste industry, and it's going to continue to grow in importance. As we are all aware, the recycling market has taken a pretty pretty severe downturn uh, in recent history and as a result there's been a lot of changes in the market including contamination being a really important part of both the vendor side and customer side of business. Uh, Customers are getting hit with contamination charges and it's gonna be a growing concern. We've also seen contamination kind of break through to mainstream media and as a result of that, more stakeholders within companies are starting to pay more attention to this data and want to know how their companies are operating, how much waste are they generating, how much recycling are they generating and what what their diversion rate is because they're seeing that contamination is a growing problem and a growing concern. Data helps clients and vendors track waste and recycling on a, monthly, on a monthly, quarterly, yearly, whatever they need, whatever kind of basis they need. Collecting that data allows them to track that. It allows them to see patterns and implement changes in their program based on those patterns tracking ongoing metrics allows companies and vendors to gauge how their sustainability initiatives are doing and what changes they need to make if their sustainability initiatives are not generating the, are not hitting their goals. Um, Understanding current waste and recycling generation allows companies and vendors to benchmark. Benchmarking lets you set more accurate and more achievable goals. Without knowing where you are, it's almost impossible to set goals. And that's something that we've really tried to push with both our our clients and vendors that we work with. Um, Understanding where their clients are is crucial to setting goals and helping them hit those goals. What you do with that data when you collect it is one of the most important aspects of it. Um, analysis for customers usually means looking at changes that they can make to equipments and frequencies, adjusting um, internal recycling programs, and adjusting purchasing that their companies are making. Uh, for vendors, this. Analysis may mean assessing customer contamination rates, changing services or costs, or adjusting routing. Uh, This is a sample report that we provide to our customers on our um, platform that allows them to go in and look and see what they're generating on a monthly, quarterly, or yearly basis, depending on what type of contract we have with those customers. Um, And they can access this 24-7 through our portal. There are various types of data collection methods that we've seen and participated in. On the customer end, um, cleaners, tracking container fullness, um, and filling out container logs was how it used to be done. It was really, that was one of the only options for container services outside of estimating costs just based on the size of the containers and the frequency at which they're being picked up. Uh, now we're starting to see more technology come out, like sensors and cameras that go into containers um, and that allow you to track their fullness and also assess the contents. Um, there's companies like Compology Anevo. Um, these companies are out there that are, you know, they have this new technology that's growing and we're also starting to see vendors utilize that technology for routing efficiencies. Uh, completing a waste audit is for us, our, one of our primary core businesses, um, and it really provides in-depth analysis to what customers are generating, what their contamination rates are, and also identifying potential diversion rates and savings that they can get. It can also identify where those contam- where that contamination is coming from, so it takes the data a step further. When we're doing an audit, if we know this material came from the third floor pantry, we know what the contamination rate is in that third floor pantry specifically, and we can communicate that back to the customer to make adjustments to, to their program. Uh, we're also seeing more companies utilize scaled packer trucks, um, vendors that we work with. They're using scaled packer trucks to kind of accompany the you know, standard dump tickets that they provide for roll-off services. Uh, this is something that we've definitely seen growing as customer demand for data increases. Each of these different collection methods Bring in different types of data. So, the best thing you can do for your businesses is to find a way to standardize it. Try to have a standard set collection method across your portfolio. Otherwise, if you're doing container logs at one site, audits at another site, the data is going to be very different. Um, so, trying to standardize that is really important to making the data as useful as possible. Um, Both vendor. Uh, Both vendors and customers have various uses for this information. Um, As I said, vendors are definitely paying more close attention to contamination now. doing waste audits or having scaled packer trucks, doing visual assessments of their pickups, they're able to see what contamination rates are. They are looking for ways to clean up their customers' recycling programs. Uh, We even have begun working with vendors, doing audits for vendors um, to get this information, which is very new. Um, We used to be pretty hands-off on the vendor end in terms of providing them with information, but that's changed because they just don't have the ability, you know, many small Vendors we work with just don't have the ability or manpower to be conducting waste audits. Uh, so this is something that we've really started doing for them. Uh, it also allows them to do pricing analysis, looking at what the contamination rates are, what the service frequency is, and adjusting those frequencies to re- to reroute trucks and you know be more efficient in their routing. Um, It's also a very large data uh, value add and competitive advantage for vendors to be heavily into data at this point. Uh, We've been asked multiple times by our customers to only work with vendors that have good data reporting capabilities. We've had to cut vendors off because they don't have those reporting capabilities and it's important that vendors keep up with these changes because this is what customers are demanding. Uh, Customers are looking for help on other things. They also want to know what their contamination charges are because they're getting hit with contamination fees that are really killing some of these customers, Uh, and rightfully so, there is contamination going on, but they're looking closer at that and trying to understand what they can do to improve it. Uh, Using data, they're able to do this. Uh, Reduction goals, goal setting and benchmarking is a really important part of what Great Forest does as a company, and what customers are looking for when we're look, when we're working with them to collect this data. Um, using the analysis that they collect from these audits or any kind of data collection service, they're able to um, really identify what changes they need to make within their program and how they can make those changes. Uh, Recycling program development is another important part of data collection. Looking at, again, where material's coming from, what the contamination rates are, and how that material is moving throughout their facility, we're able to really adjust their recycling programs to make them as efficient as possible and work towards waste reduction goals and ultimately zero waste goals. And lastly, um, compliance has been a very big issue that we've been focusing on, making sure that universal waste is not ending up in trash compactors, recycling compactors, because uh, those can result in very large fines. And that's something else that we're looking for in the auditing process. Um, also helping customers that have all shred programs that cannot have you know, information getting into their waste stream that should be going into shredding bins. So that's all the type of information we're looking for um, to help to help our customers. Um, as data collection becomes more important, access to the, access to that information becomes more important. Uh, we provide 24-7 web portal for our customers that they can log in and see their data at any time. This is an example of what they will see when they log in, as, long, as well as other charts that they can customize depending on what different options they put in, different time periods, looking and taking this information back, reporting it back to their stakeholders and CSR reports and really having accurate metrics that they can gauge their program development on. Um, we're, we're seeing stakeholders throughout all different companies now demanding more information from, from, their, from their companies that they're invested in or working with to make sure that they're doing the right thing in terms of waste and recycling and really working towards waste reduction. Um, a lot of people ask how can they help their relationship with their vendor, improve service, and looking at their data and working alongside their vendor to reduce contamination is one of the big ways that they could do this. Um, yeah, and uh, that's it. Um, I, I think that data is the future of waste. I think that it's only gonna continue to grow in importance. Um, without knowing where we are, we don't know where we can go or what we need to do to get there. And that's what data allows us to do. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Chris
2: Ronson. I work for a company called Emerge Knowledge Design, which developed Retrack Connect. Somewhat complicated, uh, so I won't get into that. However, um, I think a nice transition from Joe, you're all here to you know, figure out where you are with data collection and then how to get to the next place. Today I'm going to go over a couple of things that I would like you to keep in mind when you are either establishing your data collection program or uh, trying to enhance it. Uh, I've been doing this for over a decade with my company, helping organizations better collect information regarding materials management data, and even though I know exactly what has worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past, it's easy to get lost. A uh, perfect example is uh, this morning... I hadn't had my full cup of coffee and I was standing in line registering for the national hardware show and uh, about five minutes in I realized that uh, I was in fact in the wrong place and so even though you know exactly what to do sometimes having those tips in front of you is uh, helpful once I've gone over a couple examples of how some of our clients are uh, better collecting data then what do you do with that data so so measurement your data has a job to do I mentioned uh, just as a bit of background, the software that our company develops is web-based software that helps collect information from uh, numerous types of entities. So whether it's haulers or local governments or businesses or... um, counties or states, our software helps make that more efficient. And so we've been working for years uh, helping streamline that information. And then once it's in there, help better analyze it. And so as far as best practices for establishing data collection programs, I'm going to start with... uh, Mandatory versus voluntary programs, so some of you had mentioned that you actually collect data right now And so uh, the next question I would typically ask if I was doing a training session uh, Which is what I'm more used to doing than speaking in front of this many people um, Is you know does your program have teeth if you will Um, So is it a shark or is it a cute little sheep? Um, if it is a shark like the Austin resource recovery program in Texas um, They have some teeth to that particular program and so if you currently are able to Mandate that data to be sent to you There's a number of different things that you can keep in mind for collecting that data um, with the c- city of Austin, Texas they were looking to become zero waste and and Part of that was establishing a universal recycling ordinance requiring multifamily and commercial properties to report annual diversion plans on an annual basis. And eventually, it that particular ordinance is going to cover the entire city and all of the properties. And as you can imagine, if you just said from the gates, everyone has to report, that is a lot of data, and establishing that program in a in a phased approach is a much better way. So whether your program uh, has teeth or not, phasing in that approach, depending on how many people are sending you data, can be really, really useful. Secondly, um, sometimes, depending on whether you know or not, the fact that people are supposed to send you data, uh, establishing a waiver process, at least early on, to allow for uh, those reporting entities to say, hey, I know you are saying that I'm mandated to send you this data, but here are the reasons why this doesn't apply to us. Uh, You might end up ultimately denying that waiver request and still getting that data from them, but at least you'll have better background as to why um, they think otherwise, and you can work that into the program going forward. Next, having inspections. So um, as Joe mentioned, this data uh, sometimes has some flaws to it. Um, So being able to really look into that information on a regular basis, doing spot checks, audits, um, there's a lot of benefit to uh, doing that, even though that data is mandated. And then ultimately, penalties. Not often used, but being able to say that there are penalties uh, as far as what happens if you don't get that data in on time can be, can be a useful tactic. On the flip side, if your program doesn't have um, teeth, um, there are different strategies that you can take. One of the most interesting uh, ways that I've seen one of our clients use a voluntary program is tying it to a grant programs. So the state of Massachusetts wasn't able to mandate collection from all of their 351 municipalities. However, um, in order to still gather that data, they tied... The annual reporting of the municipal data to their grant programs so within the software for example uh, you can apply for the grant fill out the form and before you're able to actually submit for that grant it reminds you nicely that you have to report that annual data and so having that tied on there incentivizing collection of that data also if you aren't able to mandate the collection of that data, pre-populating, doing, using tactics to really help streamline that process is really important. That's important even if it's a mandated program as well, but being able to make the lives of those that are sending you data uh, easy is helpful. And then having support from a number of different entities. So in the case of Massachusetts, they have these municipal assistance coordinators, MACs, and they are assigned different regions to help and be on hand to uh, help with that reporting process. The next thing and um, one of the components of the session is talking about technology and how you can integrate technology uh, with your data collection. So many of you that raised your hands that are getting data, I'm sure you have various ways that that data is sent to you, and technology can really be used to help streamline that information. So a couple examples as far as um, putting the data into the system or into a form, ensuring that you're catching a lot of data mistakes early on. So that means things like inline data validation where uh, as someone's putting in the information into the form, it's it's highlighting things that are out of range or highlighting uh, things that maybe don't match. So the easy to example is uh, if you try to put in a email address and you um, put in a phone number instead catching that, that's a very simple example, but you can get as advanced as looking at prior year's data and seeing if that range is totally outside of what they had reported in the prior year, so being able to catch um, changes, in, um, changes in data and then asking for examples of why that data has changed. Uh, Reasonability checks, being able to do that after the fact is also useful. So if you don't have technology that can catch it ahead of time, being able to see discrepancy reports so that you can red flag things that just don't seem to make sense. And uh, ultimately, the data verification process is really important. Um, One of the things with many of our clients is that because we offer the software solution, it's like, okay, perfect, everything's taken care of. We're good to go. Ultimately, somebody is still needing to look at that data. It's not the most glamorous job in the world. Um, it's sometimes arduous, but being able to verify that that information is accurate, even um, on a spot check level, is is important. And making sure that the technology that you're using uh, has Assisted in that process and being able to easily check to see which ones you've verified is uh, Is something that you should consider Another thing with technology is capturing this data. We're talking about uh, material management data right now But actually capturing user data or user trends is useful. So for example And this is uh, again pretty basic, but uh, as I was mentioning I do a lot of training sessions amazingly the the one thing that a lot of our clients want us to train people on is what if they can't log into the system? What if they've forgotten their password? Which I know I've forgotten my own password a million times, but it should be pretty straightforward. But being able to capture data on when and why data issues are occurring, and then learning from those, um, ensuring that whatever system that you're utilizing to capture that data is flagging those things so that you can make changes, Um, and then allowing for feedback when that data comes in. Lastly, support. Supporting the data collection program is important. Um, So when you're first rolling it out, and I'm going to circle back to the city of Austin, Texas, they introduced a number of different support mechanisms to ensure that the process of collecting that data was as easy as possible. So they facilitated lunch and learn workshops, uh, webinars that they were able to record and then um, share afterwards, which is really handy so you're not doing those every week, and then allowing for folks that are required to report to be able to see what they are going to be asked upon um, to to send you. So if this is a new data collection program that you're establishing within your organization or your jurisdiction, being able to give folks a glimpse into what, they need to do before they're actually required to do it, before there's a deadline asked to for, is really important. It reduces a lot of anticipation and anxiety, but also is going to likely get you better data from the get-go. You're going to spend less time going back and talking to um, talking to those reporting entities and trying to figure out what the heck went wrong. Strategic onboarding, uh, this is a a very recent example for us as an organization. We recently launched a a program that is free for municipalities, helping standardize data across uh, the United States and Canada. And one of the things is is that um, we wanted really, really good data and keeping it just open for any municipality to join, uh, which many of our programs are just kind of uh, self-registering was something that we were concerned about. We didn't want duplicate data. We didn't want the wrong person reporting the data. So if you're not entirely sure of the list of organizations or buildings or people that have to report that data to you, um, making sure that you've planned for some sort of intervention for checking on who's reporting the data. That's the most important step of the data collection process, in my opinion, is ensuring you've got the right people on the bus because after that, if they're reporting for years, um, you can do as much data val- verification as you want, but if it's the- coming from the wrong place, that uh, that's something you want to catch early on. And then ongoing. So documenting things that need to... Um, need to be kept track of, terminology is really important, uh, making sure that resources to understand the workflow and the information that you're asking for is accessible so that when someone's actually going in and sending you that data or has a question, this is typically something that you need to sit down for and um, think about. So not having to wait another week or two days to get the answer to your question is uh, is something that you should keep in mind. I wrote brain backups which doesn't really make too much sense but ultimately the point here I was trying to get at is that um, ultimately there's someone, maybe it's you in the audience, maybe it's someone in your organization that typically if it's a spreadsheet or a database they're sometimes the only person that knows what the heck is going on with that thing. Um, if they decide to leave your organization or they get, or you promote them or whatever ends up happening, that can take a lot of time to transfer that information. So keep that in mind, keep good documentation, um, and as much as possible have some sort of redundancy on the brain behind that person who's collecting that data. So once the data's in your hands or in the system um, what do you do with it and so I've got a couple examples I just want to share with you uh, lennon Drugs is a um, department store in Canada there's about 78 stores across the country and they came to us looking for a solution to help kind of centralize that data collection they were collecting on a monthly basis towards um, trying to get towards a 95 to diversion rate, which is um, extremely ambitious, and ensuring that they were able to capture that data and then share it back with these department stores who were responsible for collecting it was really important. They needed instant feedback. They needed to be able to know where that each store location sat next to uh, the rest of the company, and so um, being able to provide those reports as uh, Joe mentioned back to your reporting entities is something that should be done um, this is this is their diversion rate rate uh, in 2016 collecting from nationwide and so some of the things that they did were uh, a making sure that the portal was available for each of the stores to be able to compare themselves benchmark themselves but then they introduced competition between the stores to be able to kind of show on a monthly basis. Uh, That doesn't always work out um, depending on um, how the culture is in your organization but sometimes it can be a, a good incentive. Uh, Oregon Metro uh, so the Portland area there's about six local governments that uh, are captured by that kind of region that uh, use retract connect to collect data from haulers um, they actually centralized their data collection but as part of the process of um, kind of moving that online they sat down with the haulers themselves created a kind of group and said we are going to change the way you're reporting that data how Best can we do that so that it's not just here, this is what you have to do now. So they got the feedback from the haulers themselves. And one of the key aspects of it was ensuring that the the data that the haulers felt was private remained private. And so... Within the form itself, it allows the haulers to indicate that, hey, this is proprietary information. I don't want this shared in analytics in uh, with other organizations unless it is kind of anonymized and in aggregate form only. And so, being able to do that in your reports and ensure that you have the proper um, steps in place to make sure that that is accurate and is happening is really important. And so, doing that early on and having those conversations on can not only help get that data in in a comfortable way from those that are reporting to those that may not want to report to you in this case it was 55 haulers uh, small to large and so standardizing that information was really important but uh, collecting it on a timely basis was also really important so um, ensuring that the reports reflected their their needs was useful Another uh, way of looking at this data and providing feedback to those that are reporting to you, Um, this example is again from that Municipal Measurement Program. One of the things that we wanted to do instead of just this one-way street of collecting data is give something back to those that are reporting data to you. And so in this particular report, it analyzes the information that the municipality has provided uh, for their programs for the year. And being able to then say, here, these are some recommendations that you should keep in mind. These are some tools and resources based on the exact program that you have. Um, Look for improvements in these areas. And then finally, uh, is the state measurement program. Uh, I like to say, uh, you've heard the apples to apples comparison. People then are like, oh, it's not apples to oranges it's almost never even apples to oranges, it's apples to pretzels, essentially. It's complicated and ensuring that um, capturing that data at a, at a stra- standardized level is really important. So with state measurement program, all the states agreed upon common terminology, metrics, and the ability to uh, collect aggregate information or detailed information, depending on the level of detail that they could provide. So
3: thank you so much. My name is uh, Steven Stavro. Uh, My focus is to vise and market innovative technologies for a wide range of industries from uh, food and beverage, uh, distributors, bakeries, and the waste and recycling industry. Um, Merrick Pacific has been servicing, providing technology, containers for the waste and recycling industry for about 30 years now. So if you're in this room today and you're a uh, municipal provider or a private service provider, there is more data available to you than there's ever been before. Everywhere you look, there's data coming at you. Uh, you can get data related to your truck, how fast it's going down the road, what turns it's making, is it optimized on that route, if the driver's a seatbelt on, if the driver's taking a selfie, um, containers picked up, if a container's full, there's an unbelievable amount of data on the marketplace, and it's mushroomed over the last five years. So it gets a little bit convoluted, right? So if you look out there and you see all this data on the marketplace and you're an operator, it's a little bit difficult to figure out. What data is actually really important to you? Where should I be focusing? Where should I be spending my time and energy? So the the challenge in the business today is not necessarily the amount of volume that's coming in from a data perspective. It's really about how do you take this data, turn it into something that's effective, that actually can deem results. So if you look at the digital information out there on the marketplace and to break it up into different pieces and really compartmentalize it, you can look at it from a couple different buckets area from a business standpoint on how it actually can be impactful, right? So if you look at reducing operating expense, increasing revenue, improving safety, enhancing the customer experience, and reducing capital expense... This is kind of what we got to look like at at an operation. What's the data out there? How can I drill it down? What's meaningful to you, right? Because you can look on the marketplace for quite some time. But the key to figuring out is there's all this data out there. What actually is going to make a difference to you? So if you look at your business, what are the top line business objectives that you have? What are the internal challenges that you have and external pressures that prevent you from reaching those objectives. And then start to focus in on, hey, I really wanna focus in on reducing operating expense, what data is available in the marketplace, what technology solutions are available in the marketplace to help me reach my goal. So I'm gonna share with you a couple success stories related to how some folks use data collection and technology to help improve efficiencies and related to those, those five buckets there. So I'm gonna start with the city of Cincinnati. They're operating 36 trucks. And what they had a challenge was uh, understanding is where they were optimizing their trucks are the residents actually which residents were participating and they had very limited visibility to this. And so what they did is they partnered up with Rarity Pacific to install RFID readers on the trucks. And they also provided RFID on the carts in front of the house. So now what happens is when the resident rolls out the cart with the RFID chip in it, the truck rolls up with the RFID reader in the truck picks up the cart, it scans the cart, ties it to a GPS unit, and now, that, now the city of Cincinnati knows which truck, which truck picked up which house on which day with which cart, and has got pure visibility on what's going on. So after a couple months, they look at this data and analyze it and then say to themselves, hey, we're running 36 trucks here. We actually can do this with nine less trucks. Take those trucks off the road and allocate that labor somewhere else. So a really big win there for that city. They improved route efficiency by 25%, reduced their fleet by nine. And really a big win is it was labor neutral, right? So they're able to take that labor and apply it to other parts of the city that are important to them. Two of those things were road maintenance as well as litter prevention. So pretty, pretty significant savings. If you look on an annual perspective, you're looking at 1.8 million dollars and a 9 million projection over over five years. Next success story I want to talk about is a generic industrial hauler, but some of you guys probably are familiar with the, the complications with keeping track of your uh, industrial containers out there that are floating around. You probably hear things related to someone's calling you up you don't know how many containers you have in the yard you've got to call a bunch of people to figure it all out you've got drivers that stash them so they can be more efficient on their own, on their own terms and that guy ends up leaving your company and you don't know where all those containers are um, you don't you can't really keep track of which, can, which container got damaged or broken to actually bill the customer who broke it. You don't know if you dropped it off the wrong size. You don't know if you picked up the right one. So it's really, really complicated to manage all these containers. And so what companies are looking to do is, is tag these containers now with barcodes and use Rare's Industrial Container tracking that. What this allows them to do is when they drop off these containers at different locations and areas that they're servicing, is they can assign it a status. So I dropped off this container at this location and I signed it. It's in inventory. It's at ABC Company. It's a 20-yard or whatever it may be, now you can look onto a dashboard and say to yourself, okay, someone calls me up, they want a 40-yarder, I know I've got X amount in the yard, I know Joe's shop's got three on hand, you can really manage your business more effectively. So some, some significant results there as well as you look at the efficiency gains you can get from a couple different areas. You're not buying more, con- more uh, industrial containers than you need. You can route the drivers more efficiently and you can generate a sales lift, right? It's hard when people call you up and they ask for things you don't necessarily know if you have it on hand to sell them. So you can spend time actually selling these guys just trying to track down all these industrial containers. Um, so significant savings there from a net profit or annual perf- improvement standpoint. A final thing I'll just close with is Again, everyone's talking about a lot of data up here, and there's a lot of solutions on the marketplace. And you just start internally, right? What data? What part of your business are you trying to focus on first? Hone in on that and then go do some research. Get an internal stakeholder that's going to be a champion and figure out what technology and data is available in the marketplace to help align with your overall business goals and then spend your time and energy there. So thanks for your time. Appreciate it.
4: My name's Emily Coven. I'm the founder of Recyclist and we do um, cloud-based solutions, basically web-based apps and um, you know websites and um, tools online to um, make... We work mostly with municipal solid waste Programs, Um, cities, counties, and haulers running municipal solid waste programs. What is data? And data is really anything. You know, it's anything that's a collection of zeros and ones. Anything that you do when you're collecting data. If you're taking a photograph, that's stored as a bunch of zeros and ones. You know, if you are taking a measurement, if you're taking, you know, a GPS coordinate, it's all a bunch of zeros and ones. And there's like this world is filled, even this room right now is filled with data. There's so much we could collect. And so, um, you know, in 2019, the world is sort of our oyster right like as long as we have enough time and resources we can collect anything and we can do anything with it and so then it becomes sort of this philosophical collection of like what do we want to collect and what's valuable to us Um, I think within the waste industry, there's been um, a lot of progress recently in the kinds of things that Steve was talking about now: operational efficiency, so better collection, better processing, making everything so much more efficient, um, and that's been really good. You know, you just walk around the trade show floor, right, and there's rob- robots, and there's you know route optimization, and there's sensors. There's so much great stuff out there for making everything that we're doing once we collected waste really, really efficient. Um, Where I think there is an opportunity though in the waste industry is more on the generation side to use data to kind of look at how is waste being generated in the first place and how can that be improved because when we're looking at trying to you know increase our diversion levels and get stuff out of landfill and deal with this huge contamination problem we have it ultimately gets down to those individual generators and if we're not using our data to get at them we're kind of missing a big big piece of the pie um, so you know when you think about how you use data to um, change behavior it's actually great to be in Vegas right like is there anywhere else in the world that is more data is used to try to influence human behavior you know the, the, the casinos are like sort of the perfect incubator for this idea right they're this like completely closed off like controlled environment the casinos can control the temperature you know we've all heard like lower the temperatures to keep you more awake and make you spend more money um, they you know they can calibrate their slot machines, right? So they can get just the right amount of payoff that you'll keep pushing that button. Um, They even monitor the drinks. They'll watch you and see, you know, who should we give free drinks to so we can get more money? And like, I wish that the waste world was like that, right? The waste world is like the opposite of that. It's huge and it's everywhere and it's totally uncontrolled and all of that. And you know, I wish that we could just like give a free drink to somebody who contaminates and all of a sudden like there would be no contamination. Like that would be so easy. Um, but that's not really one of our options out there. But I think there are things that we can do with data to, um, you know, to improve what's going on out there with individual generators. So that's what I wanna talk about a little bit today. Um, So... Uh, you know on if you look at individual generators what information do we have about them we have a decent amount of aggregate information you know because when the trucks go pick up their stuff we know how much you know we can measure how many tons are in trucks Um, we can measure how many tons are going to landfill we can measure how many tons are getting processed Um, and we can roll that up on a usually on a citywide municipal level something like that so how many overall within a city tons we can get diversion we can get pounds per household and then we can roll that up, especially through the efforts like Chris was talking about with the municipal measurement program. There you go. Um, standardize it, and then we can start to have baselines and track how things are going, and all of that's super important, right? Because that gives us visibility into what in the world is happening out there in the big picture. Um, and that, but it, it to a certain extent, that gives us everything that's happened in the past and hopefully close to real time happening right now. Um, what I'm really interested in is kind of that forward-looking. You know what are you know how can we use data to not just look at what happened in the past but change what's going to happen in the future, um, and I think that in order to do that we've got to change behavior and we've got to do that on the individual level. So. I our, what we try to do at Recyclist through our software is take that lens down to the individual generator level. So we're looking at a city and who's in a city who's generating waste. You know, there's residents, there's businesses, there's multifamily properties, there's industrial. Um, we focus largely on, res, on uh, not on, well, we do stuff for residential, but this is different. Um, what we do, what we our data platform focuses largely on commercial for a few reasons. Um, one is that we work largely in California and there's mandatory commercial and mandatory commercial organics, so that's really important to our customers. Um, And the other reason is that you get a lot more bang for your buck, like trying to change the behavior of commercial generators because you can actually go talk to them and change what they're doing. so if you look at an individual waste generator, you know, in the ideal world, you would know everything, right? You would know, they say they've got three bins. You would know every week how much they're generating. And if they happen to have a scaled truck, like amazing, you know that. But odds are they don't. Um, if they happen to have sensors that were perfect and re- could report their contamination perfectly, you'd know that. Um, if they worked for, you know, if they happened to work with Great Forest or a company like that, they'd have a lot of information. But for the most part, we don't have that information. All we know is they've got these three bins, right? Um, But that is information because if I'm in a city with a three-bin system, I know at least they have the service that they're supposed to be using. You know, what if they don't have an organics bin? Well, then I know they're not diverting their organics, right? That's like a very simple data point. If they don't have a recycling bin, I know they're probably not recycling. So, you know, it's not rocket science, but it's really useful information to have. So when you look at a city overall, right, like let's say my city has eight businesses, and I can see that two of them, Don't have a certain service. You know, one of them is lacking organics. One of them is lacking organics and recycling. Um, So if I'm going to go out and try to affect change within the city, who am I going to go see? I'm going to go see these two businesses. If I only have time to go see one, I'm going to go see the bigger one that's lacking more service. You know, that's where my biggest opportunity is to move the needle within my city. Um, Obviously, most cities don't have eight businesses. They have eight hundred. They have eight thousand. But the same principles apply, right? You're not going to go door to door and knock on eight. Thousand businesses, but maybe you do have the resources to go see 300. And if you can use your data to identify who should we go see? Where are we going to get the biggest bang for our buck? um, That's a really empowering thing. So um, that all sounds well and good, and it sounds like well, why don't everybody just do that tomorrow? Um, and there's a real big limitation to this, which is actually you can't just like you know snap your fingers and know who those 30 businesses are. And this is kind of at the root of the problem that, that we are dealing with as recyclists, which is that this is how the data tends to look when we get it. So we work with the city, or we work actually a lot directly with haulers who give us their data, and they're like, okay, tell us now who we should, like who's compliant, who's not compliant, who should we visit? Because this is how data is typically stored. Um, And it's stored for this, you know, so this is, say, one customer, Joe's Diner, right? They've got a couple different locations, they've got different bins, they might have a couple different account numbers for their different locations, you know, a row for every day of the week that they're serviced. Um, And you can't just look at this and know what's going on, right? but it also makes sense that this is how the data is stored because haulers are servicing bins and they need to sort, store their information in this way to run operations efficiently. But this is really different from that sort of big picture look, you know, work of you know, looking at, is that for me? I know. No. Oh, no. Okay, so approaching 17 minutes, it's like oh dear. Right. Um, okay, so um, but, so you know this is this works for them, but it doesn't necessarily work for this identifying individual generators. So one of the things that we do as part of our program tracker software, which is the software that tracks the overall program, is we take stuff that looks like this and we make it look like this. Um, and it's unfortunately not a trivial, but it's not impossible. It can be done. Um, and now we can look at this one generator and say, oh. They They've got two locations, and here's their net cubic yardage that's being serviced at each of those locations, and here's like a human readable version of what they're getting, right? And then we can look and see, oh, look, these guys haven't got recycling, and those guys haven't got organics. We've got two problems here. Um, And uh, this can be really powerful. Again, it would be nice if we knew more, but this is a very, very good starting point. Um, so what this looks like just to give you an example within our program tracker is we pull in you know thousands and thousands and thousands of businesses and you can search and you can sort them but you can see on an individual generator level what they 're all doing in the state of California this is particularly helpful because now we know who 's on the hook for mandatory commercial recycling who 's on the hook because it 's a threshold based for commercial organics and we can see you know who 's not complying who 's not got the services they need and then we can track whenever we go and visit them or do a phone call or do an audit or do an assessment or you know anything like that it's all tied together it's not sort of in a mishmash of notes everywhere where we have no idea what's going on so um, Chris was talking about uh, regular you know collecting data with teeth and with not teeth and there was the shark Um, SB 1383 is like is like a giant school of great white sharks it's like it's like the most teeth filled reporting thing like it's like the best thing that could have ever happened to recyclists but kind of terrible for everybody else um, because there's so much reporting required so this is short lived climate pollutant um, emissions law that's very very broad reaching across the state but specifically for municipal solid waste programs there's a ton that's required around organics Um, it requires more organic service to be had it's tons around edible food generation and on the municipal level there's tons and tons and tons of reporting and so if you guys are like who is this crazy person standing in front of me telling me I should track 8,000 individual generators, like who in their right mind would do that? Kind of the answer is everybody in California now is going to have to do that. So um, previously in California, the regulations have been a little bit more aggregate, right? How many businesses are complying and not? How many tons have been going? Add it all up and give us a number. Um, SB 1383 is really a paradigm shift to give us a list. Give us a list of all your generators. Give us a list of everyone who's got organic service that should and who sh- you know who doesn't that should. Um, give us a list of all of your edible food generators. Tell us what each and every one of them is doing to recover food. You know, give us a list of all the waivers you've issued. Give us a list of every single point of contact you've had with every single generator the whole entire year and the outcome of all of that. Like, it goes on and on and on. So it kind of has to happen whether we like it or not. I like it, <laughs> you all may not. I mean, but um, I do think that what's exciting about it is that, you know, if we just stay at that high level of looking at aggregate numbers, we're never really gonna know what's happening and we're never gonna have that opportunity to use data to move the needle on this. So uh, I have won- this is my final slide here. Um, and uh, I just want to talk quickly about soft data versus hard data. So soft data is not what you would think. It's not like soft, squishy, unimportant, whatever. It's just data that's more qualitative than quantitative. And I think it's the kind of data that we've historically, you know, kind of written down and pieces of paper and filed away and put in notes and stuff. But it's things like when you're going out and doing an audit. Um, and it sounds like you guys do a lot of this, like putting that to numbers, right? So giving the- a, a, a quantitative you know, value data-wise to doing something that's, hey, hey, how much is contamination? Is there a lot? A little, none. Um, but here's an example of this. So we have one of the cities we work with, you know, used to send reps out into the field and they'd log their contamination, they put it on a piece of paper, and then once a month the manager would go through a stack of papers this high, be like, oh, there's a business that's done a lot of contamination, I'm gonna get in touch with the hauler, call the hauler, maybe a couple weeks later they'd go out and so and and talk to the customer, right? So there's like a four, six, eight-week feedback loop there by the time it happens. Now they go out in the field with tablets. They say, this is a high contamination, they need a visit right away. The hauler finds out 30 seconds later and a service order is in and maybe the next day someone's out there talking to them and they're looking at that same contamination. So it really speeds up that feedback cycle in order to get things improving. Um, And then I think the other thing that's really empowering about everybody using sort of a standardized format when they're going out and gathering this soft data like contamination, like audits, like characterizations is but then you can tie that to your results, right? So if you are keeping track of your contamination, then you're keeping track of how that changes over time, and you can look at that against all of the efforts that you've put forth to change that, then you actually start to realize what's working and not working. We shouldn't all go out there and just randomly do things and hope they're going to work. Like, if we can tie these to real numbers, then we know that our, you know, that our efforts are being rewarded with the kind of results that we want to see.
1: Well, thank you all for attending. Oh, oh, oh,